We're back for the Eric Carter Part 2. EC, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Dale. Good to talk to you on a Monday. Yes, definitely. We talked about this. Uh, we talked about getting this Part 2 done a couple of weeks ago when me and you were talking, and then it actually came on my Facebook feed, um, You know, where it tells you, like, this was your post this time last year, and it was the one from the Part 1. So it's been a year since we actually did that first one, which only seems like a few months ago, really. I know, I agree, man. It does just seem like it was uh, it was yesterday, man. But um, yeah, man, stoked to talk with you. You know me, man. I can uh, I can chew the fat pretty long, so <laughs> I love I love doing these things. And uh, you know, like I said on the Facebook deal when they you were asking for questions, you know, some of these people when they ask questions, it actually reminds me of of old stories that I had forgotten. So uh, it's pretty cool, man. I enjoy doing these. Yeah, we definitely got a lot of questions on the Facebook, but let's, uh, I guess let's get into what you've been up to uh, since, yeah, since we last spoke online. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I, I, I last time I was just kind of really, I guess what you would say, just getting back to work and doing, doing the hyper stuff. And so I've got a, you know, a year under the belt, really a little bit over a year under the belt now with, being back with with Clay and the and the boys at Hyper and developing mountain bikes and um, parts and accessories for Snafu, so bars and stems and and grips and such. So that's kind of my, you know, that's what I I do on the daily is is uh you know I'm just staying focused on trying to develop that line and and uh, finish that project that we started, which was gosh five years ago, with a, a you know a hiatus in between, but. Uh, that's the daily, dude. The daily is focused on the hyper mountain bike program and uh, marketing and riders and team manager and product development. Who's on the team, like for mountain biking? We got uh, Boss Van Stenbergen, and he's he's our primary um, a rider. I would say our top rider on the program, and uh, he's just a really stylish um, rider that has produced some some of the most uh, you know very well received edits on on pink bike and such um so and he he won the uh, not this past crankworks but the year before he won the a-line downhill uh so he's just a really he's just a fantastic all-around gravity rider with a real cool style that, that transfers over on video stuff um we got kevin aiello who's a local downhill local southern california downhill shredder guy that's uh former khs one and yeah yeah he's, yeah khs kevin so uh, he's now he's hyper Kevin. <laughs> and he was on GT with you back before KHS, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, he was. He was a part of the program uh, myself and my uh, my mechanic, my longtime friend. You know, I call him my brother, John Kanipa. Um, you know, we kind of we were trying to get Gwenny, and uh, that fell through. And <laughs> don't you need so, like a million dollars, don't you, for that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have a. We didn't have a Brinks truck at the time, so but uh, you know, Gwenny wasn't needing a Brinks truck at the time either. But um, right. he was an up and comer, and uh, that fell through. And uh, so we, you know, Kevin was also a young up and comer at the time, and and so we kind of plugged him in to uh, to our program. So yeah, we were teammates on GT, and then uh, he went and did KHS stuff, and we went and did other stuff. But uh, yeah, we're back together. I got Kevin back on the program. He's He's riding, riding stuff, and uh, another rider that is, um, you know, super fast downhill guy. But uh, his his riding style is what really attracts me to having him on the program because his edits and his imagery that he puts out uh, always look really good. And then obviously the BMX, um, the BMX crew will know uh, Bubba Gonzalez and uh, Jordy Scott, who 
race BMX for us, but uh, have also showed a interest in uh, coming on over and riding mountain bikes. And they went and did Crankworks this year and had a blast. And uh, I look for those guys to do a lot more mountain biking this year. So, you know, four, <clears throat> four pretty solid riders. And then you got my old wrinkled ass out there. <laughs> I saw a picture of you yesterday. Well. You was riding yesterday, right? Was that like a, a Fontana or something? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I go out to all the Fontana races. I support Donnie and the SRC crew. Um, you know, uh, Donnie's race series has always been a, uh, you know, a fixture here in Southern California. And when everybody really kind of abandoned racing after Big Bear closed and there was not really any place to go gravity racing, you know, Donnie was the life support of, of Southern California racing. And uh, Donnie and his family are longtime friends of our family. And so I always try to go out there and support him. And, um, so yeah, I was out there racing yesterday. We really have been kind of supporting my son, who is really starting to take to racing uh, mountain bikes and downhill, and he's just loving it. So we're chasing the series and just going out there and doing all the racing, and um, we're having a blast doing it. So yeah, oh. I was out racing yesterday at Fontana. How did you? How did you do? <laughs> I got smoked. I got second. That's uh, good. Who beat you? Yeah, the local fast guy Joe Pichettino, man. He's a uh, He's a super, super fast guy, and he goes he goes really fast at Fontana. And, um, you know, I, I beat him in the first round of this little fall series thing that Donnie has going on. But uh, Joe had my number yesterday, man. I just – there was no gas in the tank when I got on the wall. And uh, so he – I think he put like four and a half or five seconds into me. Um, and then uh, Rich Hausman was also racing out there. He was doing some vet pro racing, but he flatted. And uh, so I got second. I probably would have got third because Rich is also pretty fit and he probably would have spanked me as well. So, but you know what, man, at this age, as you know, Dale, it's, it's not really about the result. I mean, of course you're competitive and we always have that competitive streak in us, but I just like being out there amongst my people and uh, really take a lot of uh, fulfillment in watching my son come down and ride. So it's, that's what it's more about now. Yeah, that's cool. And they were racing uh, when I saw you in Bakersfield last month. That's when we started chatting again. And uh, it seems like your boys are having a, Good time, and they, they had some trophies as well, right, from Bakersfield? Yeah, yeah, we went and did the Bakersfield National as well, and, and so and we pulled some trophies home from that event. And uh, Nice. They just, they just love bikes, man. My kids just love bikes. You know, they're not, um, they're not expert national winners, and they're, they're not World Cup downhill quality kids right now. Um, if they end up being that way, awesome. If they don't, that's awesome too um you know i'm encouraging them to stay in school and and to focus on the things that they're passionate about that way my youngest son is a very technically skilled kid and and loves robots and things like that and wants to you know he's told me he wants to go to school at cal poly which is a very technical school where they do design robots and all kinds of crazy stuff like that and then uh my oldest son man he plays guitar and piano and ukulele and oh, cool. uh, he's in yeah he's we he's got a he performs in the school, you know, stage stuff. And, uh, he's going to, he, you know, he's got a show this Wednesday at school. And then, uh, next week and he's got a field trip where he's they go and do like a competition, I guess. So it's, he's going to be on stage singing and doing all that kind of stuff. So he's, he's a bit of a performer and, um, he's very, he's, he's, he's passionate about that. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging them to not try to put all their, eggs in the in the cycling basket um because it's a man as we've talked about it's a little bit of a spider's web uh mm -hmm. when you get to when you get to the later 
later stages and you're trying to make a buck as a pro, man, it, 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 it's a slippery slope right there right now. Yeah, no, definitely. I think in today's uh, landscape, you've got to uh, definitely got to have a backup plan a bit sooner than maybe that what we did, you know, so... Um, so I re-listened to our first podcast, uh, we went into depth, if anybody didn't listen, if you want to listen to the Eric Carter part one, it's very much the start of your BMX career through, through your BMX, um, you know, professional years, and then we got to the point where we're just kind of easing into the mountain biking, we talked about, uh, your, uh, win at the 2005 Four Cross Worlds, when you, uh, made that, uh, awesome first turn high-low on, uh, Pro Cop and Roger Ringenek and, uh, the other guy in the final was, uh, Michael Del Leek. Um, so yeah, yep. that's what we really kind of got done in mountain biking talk. So I thought maybe, uh, we'd get a bit more, um, we've got some good questions as well. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about your mountain bike career. So, um, I'm thinking it was 93, 94, you kind of stepped in the, in the scene, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. We were, uh, uh, 93 was, um, was the year that I did my first mountain bike race. I think I had gone on a, uh, you know, Lee Donovan and, and had invited me to go do a ride. I don't know. One of those canyons over there in Orange County, there's a bunch of them, but we rode up some fire road and we got him, you know, she invited me to go. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, it'd be cool. Pistol was there and uh, Lopes was there and she was there. I don't know. Maybe Mercedes was there, but there was a, a number of us. And uh, you know, back in those days, it was, um, you know, of course I was riding with a hangover. So, <laughs> you know, it was, a, it was a, it was a, I think it was a Saturday morning ride and I had um, gone out on Friday night and had some fun and, and, but I still made the ride and uh, you know, as miserable as the climb was, I enjoyed it uh, coming down and, and just riding with those guys. Um, but I really didn't pursue it. I didn't go, you know, I didn't come away from that ride and be like, man, I, I want to race mountain bikes. I, this is what I want to do. This is awesome. Um, you know, and I was pretty out of shape, you know, uh, just, you know, I hadn't really, um, fully came back to BMX as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of just went to bicycle center, BC Dave and those guys and, uh, and talked with Dave about just getting a mountain bike to ride, to get in shape. I never, I didn't, I didn't pursue getting a mountain bike to race and make money. I pursued it to get in shape because I was, you know, I was just, I was fat, man. I was just fat and out of shape from drinking beer and partying with the moto guys, you know, but I was, you know, the, the thing is I was the party guy, you know, I was the moto guy. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, and, uh, Dave just basically said, you know, um, come on back and, and I'll, I'll have something for you. So, yeah, I came back, I don't know, weeks, maybe even a month or two later, and he had some bikes ready for me and basically just told me, you know, you're going to go race mountain bikes for me this summer, and, um, you know, it'll be awesome, and we're going to jump in the van, and we're going to hit all the Norbas, and it'll be cool. And I had always, I had actually always been resistant to the mountain bike stuff, and, you know, BC was a, a hot, was a local shop full of hot shoe racers, and, and they supported BMX, and they were also mountain bike friendly and and they were always trying to get me to ride mountain bikes and i hated it i thought i thought mountain bike was gay and kelly already kind of established himself as the first i guess of your ear i know there's a few guys before that you know i know harry leary spoke about it in his last podcast and um yeah tomac and them guys but was Kelly like that maybe like one of the guys that set the light off for you yeah i mean for sure when Kelly did it it was it it made it a little bit more where i was like okay maybe i should take a look at this um 
you know, but BC was, I mean, they were trying to get me to ride mountain bikes in like 88. Oh, okay. So that's even before then. that. Then. Yeah. 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 And I was just resistant, you know, the stupid bars with the, with the wedge stem attached to it with the big bull moose bar, you know, all that stuff and the Lycra. And I was just like, you gotta be crazy, dude. You know, I was a 17 or 18 year old BMX kid and you want me to go put Lycra on and ride around. You're nuts, dude. I ain't doing that. This is stupid. And, uh, <laughs> you know so fast forward to uh you know getting in shape and all that and then obviously you know when dave presented me with the the offer or basically didn't really present me with the offer he just told me this is what you're going to do and uh yeah he showed me the things that dave that cully had been doing and that cully was you know winning slaloms and having success and that you know that he felt that you know i had the potential to uh, get in there and mix it up with dave as well um so, you know, yeah, that, that certainly was, uh, something that was, um, more, you know, it, it, it got me to be more inclined to come over and do it. Um, but yeah, the first race was at Big Bear in 93 and, and, um, you know, we, we kind of all, man, we really just upset the apple cart for the mountain bike guys. And those guys hated us, man. Cause you know, Cully had come over and was really kind of beaten just about all those guys, except for Tomac. You know, Herbold was in the mix a little bit, um, but Cully was just really bringing a new style to the to the mountain bike world, you know. And then a year later, you know, the first national of the year, uh, you know, myself, Terry Tanette, Mike King, Billy Griggs, obviously Cully's there. Um, oh, Billy Terry was well. there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was there was like, I don't know, there was like eight or ten double A pros racing slalom. And how was that? That was when. So this is ninety three, ninety four, right? This was ninety three, yeah. So that's when the money was kind of yeah, double A pro money wasn't too great at the time. I just kind of came here ninety four, ninety five. So I'd done a couple of races, but I'm thinking, is that one of the main reasons you guys were kind of checking it out because the money was bad in double A and sponsorship, or you just guys needed a change? You know, I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't thinking, man. I'm going to come over here and make. A lot of money of course we had heard that dave was making money and, and was was you know doing that uh but we didn't uh you know we didn't that wasn't my i wouldn't say that was my motivation from the from the start you know dave dave just said we're gonna go drive around in the van and go to the norbas and it'll be fun and you're gonna do great and that was kind of the deal you know i can't speak for the other guys that were there you know but you know when you we really upset those guys man because that <laughs> night in big bear you know i won i think Annette was second i think mikey was third and maybe uh toby henderson i think lopes, was, I think lopes was i think lopes had was fourth but maybe toby i'm not sure but basically all of a sudden it was this wave of bmx pro riders that just came over and the mountain bike guys were just like, what I remember, the hell's going on? I remember seeing, I don't know if it was BMX Plus or Mountain Bike Action, that the same company wanted. I remember seeing that an article from that race, and there's all little interviews with you guys. I remember reading that a bunch of times. I think I've got it in England in my uh, magazine right. stash. But I remember, I think, uh, yeah, there's all like little 10-minute interviews with all you guys about coming over and doing so good. I remember Terry T as well, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of that was kind of how it really started. And, and uh, you know, I won, I won that night. And, um, you know, and I've told this story many times and a lot of these people listen and probably have heard the story, but, you know, as, as we were going up in the shuttle truck, you know, driving up, you know, 
people were freaking out. Companies were, you know, mountain bike was growing and there was a lot of companies there that, you know, and guys were handing me, marketing guys were handing me business cards as I was driving up, literally sitting in the back of the truck. They're like, dude, we want you to ride for us. And they were like handing business cards to us. And I got, I got done, you know, and I was racing in a cross country Jersey. So I had pockets in the back of my Jersey (laughs) and I just, I just filled the back pocket up man, with these business cards. (laughs) And, uh, you know, after the, after the evening, you know, after we were done racing, you know, I, we got back to the condo and me and Dave, uh, BC Dave, you know, we're talking about it and celebrating. And it was like, you know, I pulled this wad of business cards, probably 20 cards out. Uh-huh. And I set them on the table and I just, you know, I told Dave, I said, Hey dude, here's the deal, man. Um, you know, clearly there's opportunity for me to do this and make some money. Um, I made a commitment to you that we're going to go drive around in your van and we're going to do it on BC. We're going to go have some. So let's just stay that path. Let's just keep it fun. Keep, we're just going to commit to doing what we're doing. I want you to hold these business cards for me at the end of the year. We'll go through them. You can tell me who's cool, who isn't, who I should watch out for. And we'll figure something out for me, you know, and that's what we did. So we kept it fun for the first year. You know, I could have jumped. Yeah, that's cool. You did that. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I kind of had after that night and seeing the energy there, I realized, okay, like this is going to be, you know, you could tell that all of us were going to end up with sponsorships and we all did, you know, at mm-hmm. the end of the year, we all ended up getting paid good money. Shit. I wasn't even a pro downhiller. I was still an expert downhiller, but I was just doing good in Fallen. And I, I mean, I think I signed a Barracuda contract that year for like 45 grand. Wow. Yeah, you know, I wasn't even pro. I wasn't even pro gravity racer yet. <laughs> so that's crazy, um, you know. And then Mikey that year, that was the year Mikey went over and won the downhill world championship. So he signed with GT, and um, you know, I was talking with GT at the same time. So you know, we were all getting hit up. You know, Lope stayed with Mongoose. That was a good fit for him. Terry Tanet had a number of offers. I think he ended up with Richie or something. But Pistol, you know, Pistol was on was Park Perry. Park Perry, right? Yeah. Yeah. And dude, I mean, it was like, it literally, we all were just, we all were getting, going to get paid. We were all going to get a contract. And we kind of all realized that about halfway through the year. And so I, w- I wasn't really stressing about it too much. I just wanted to go have fun, man. And I had a blast. I mean, it was great. There was no pressure. I was still trying to learn how to shift the damn bikes. You know? <laughs> so it was, you know, um, but yeah, man, that's how it all started for me in 93 was, was really, that was kind of a, it kind of shot straight up. It was a vertical deal. You know, we, I won the first race and, you know, it exploded. So, And then you time. guys were still, I came to the U.S. a little bit in 93. Um, then 94, I, I was sort of spent a bit more time in 94 and uh, 95. I stayed with Pistol a little bit in 93. And he was just making, as I was living with Pistol, he was just, he was on Park Prix. He was just kind of easing into it. I was there for his last couple of BMX races. Um, right. But anyway, you guys kind of came back and, you know, you guys clipped in, I think, about 94, 95. And you guys were doing a little bit of double A, but all, you know, you, Mikey, Brian, and Cully, mm. uh, you was, yeah, you guys could still get on the podium and, and win double A as well. So what was uh, your yeah. mind- mindset on all that? Were you guys like, like we're, we're kind of easing out of this or you guys still wanted to race BMX? Well, in 93, I was still, you know, you have to remember, I, I, I 93 was my first year back. And you won the NBL. A, yeah, and I won the NBL title that year. So that was my first year back as a BMX pro as well. I, you know, I was, 
like I said, dude, I coming to get, I went to get a mountain bike cause I was fat and out of shape. Right. I mean, that was, that's the real deal. You know, I, I, and, and I was, um, just coming back to racing BMX as a pro as well. Right. You know, I was at Havasu, I was at Havasu one time, man. And, and this is what really got me, man. It was towards the end of summer, you know, and I was standing there and, and, uh, you know, McGrath rolls up on his boat, you know, we're staying on this Island. He rolls up and he gets off his boat and he just looks at me and he starts laughing. And I was like, what's up, dude? He's like, you're fat, man. <laughs> and I'm like, what? He's like, dude, you look like you're pregnant, man. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, dude, MC, you're throwing me under the bus. And, you know, it resonated with me. I, I looked in the mirror. I was like, dude, he's right. I am pretty fat, man. I'm, 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 you know, I need to figure this out, you know? And, uh, so 93 was a literally new year for me and everything. I was coming back to racing pro BMX. I was still hungry to race pro BMX. Um, you know, I, I had the mountain bike thing. So, um, I was still motivated to go race BMX. I had goals that I had set for myself. You know, I wanted to win the NBL pro title. I wanted to win the ABA pro title. Um, you know, both of those were goals that I set for myself. I never ended up getting the ABA pro title um, because I had to make a decision, um, you know, around 95. Uh, but, um, yeah, I was still motivated racing BMX as well until about, you know, when I decided to actually not do it anymore, um, which was, I believe, 95 or 96. I think maybe 96 Bakersfield was my last BMX race, I believe. And, uh, it might've been 95, but I was, what I was having trouble with, man, is, is the bikes were in 93, the bikes were really close, a lot closer to BMX bikes. And then as we started getting farther, you know, 95, 96, 97, the bikes started turning into motorcycles mm-hmm. and I, and I, the mountain bikes did, and I started having trouble going from my BMX bike to my mountain bike. And I was starting to crash. I was crashing on my BMX bike. And I was having big crashes and that was something that I'd never really had in my career. I was always good about not wrecking hard. And I started wrecking really hard and I had to, you know, that I basically came to a spot where I was like, okay, what am I going to do? You know, it was really hard to walk away from BMX <clears throat> because I wanted that ABA pro title so bad. And I think, you know, you, it's always if, but I, you know, I think I certainly had a shot um, somewhere down the line, somewhere in my career to, you know, maybe have a shot at it. Um, but I just had to walk away. You know, I had the bike at that time, the mountain bike pro stuff had, you know, turned into, you know, a, a, I, if you will, a business, it was, you know, I was getting paid and it wasn't the fun. It was fun, but it wasn't for fun. It was like, okay, you know, we're doing this as a job and it had, um, longevity, you know, there was longevity to it. And, uh, you know, it just, um, so I had to make a decision and the decision was, well, it's time for me to get on a new train. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Now, did you guys, um, did you guys go into six figure deal straight away? I didn't, uh, but I had a mixed deal, right? So I didn't, you know, at the time in 93, um, I did the BC thing and I was on hyper. So hyper helped me, you know, they helped support me coming out of retirement for BMX and yeah, I don't even know if I was getting paid. I think there's maybe a little bit in a contingency, but all my travel, um, you know, and then BC was nothing as well. So I was kind of just living off my savings that I had prior. Um, but, uh, for 94, I, you know, I had a GT offer thing 
that was in place to do both. And that Mikey ended up signing that thing. Um, and, but I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to stay with the hyper program and stay with clay. We were helping, you know, I was helping him launch the company. And, uh, so we worked out a deal where I raced BMX for hyper and I raced mountain bikes for Barracuda. And I think all said and done, I think I was in like the sixties, you know, 60 mid mid sixties on salary. And then, you know, there was bonuses and stuff like that. I think I could get, get close to six figures. I wasn't up at six figures. I know Mikey was close. I don't know where Lopes was. Um, I don't know where the other guys were, but I know Mikey had signed a pretty good deal with GT and then Cully. Um, he had a really, I guess he signed a really big deal with, uh, with Diamondback where he was on, a, he was on a six figure program, uh, three year six figure program. And then especially with all the bonuses and stuff. So yeah, obviously he won, yeah. the, he won the 93 world, right? Then King won the year after he won, he won 92. Okay. I believe he won 92 and Mikey won 93. Okay. That was it. Yeah. yeah on balance. Right. Yep. Yep. Got it. Got it. Got so, it. But yeah, I mean, we, we were, we were paid well. Um, and we were paid, um, I don't know if it was, if I would say paid too much, but I, you know, certainly, like I said, I wasn't even a pro downhill rider, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, before I signed a, a money paying contract and, you know, I know, Terry wasn't either. I don't even think Terry ever raced downhill stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, and the guys that were racing downhill, um, you know, they, we weren't doing, we weren't riding downhill as good as we ended up riding downhill later on. Um, but we still signed contracts. I guess that would be on potential. You know, I think Lopes is doing pretty good, but all the rest of us were certainly struggling to get, you know, podiums and stuff like that, uh, you know, aside from BL and, uh, and Cully. Mm-hmm. So then you mm-hmm. went to, from Barracuda to GT rat. Was that next? You, you know what I went to, um, I, I rode for Barracuda for two years, 94 and 95. And then, uh, in 96, um, I was working on a deal with, with the guys from Diamondback and it was, it was, it was going to be a really nice deal. And, uh, I was pretty excited about that. They had some new bikes coming out. We were going to work on the product development side. I had, you know, it was, it was a really good thing that was all coming together. And, uh, you know, at the 11th hour on that one, man, I just, the, um, this guy KK, uh, who was the manager at the pro of the program at the time. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what happened, but he just stopped calling uh-huh. and he wouldn't answer any, wouldn't answer calls. You know, there was just, there was just crickets, man. And it was, this was, you know, in November, like mid to end of, end of November. Late. Yeah. And you, you know, yeah, you know, where, you know, as well as I do, Dale, when you get, when you get to that far and you don't got something, you're, you know, yeah, you're, scrambling. you're up, the, you're up, yeah, man, you're up shit Creek without a paddle, dude. Uh-huh. So, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I literally that year, 96 was a year and, and, and I remember talking with my wife, my girlfriend at the time, and just saying, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, you know? And I started training with a new coach, you know, Lee Donovan's coach, Val. Uh, I was training with him. And it was, the, it was the first year that I was really, really fit. Like the off season, I was crushing it. You know, I really shed a lot of weight. I was fit on the road bike. I could ride cross country. You know, I was doing local crits, all that stuff. I mean, I was riding really good. You know, and it was like, man, the the rug just got yanked out from underneath us right when things were about to get really good for us. And, uh, 
you know, I remember my wife saying, well, let's just go for it. Like, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just spend the money, you know? And I was saving that money to put it on a down payment for a house, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and she was like, let's just do it. Like you're training, you're fit. I believe in you. I think we can do it. You know, let's just, let's just go for it. Like the money, don't worry about the money, just go. And, and you know, that was pretty amazing for her to say something like that. You know, most, most women, you know, we pretty much knew we were going to get married. Uh, most women wouldn't want to risk that, you know, they would want to play conservative on that. And, mm-hmm. uh, so we, so we did, man, we bought a van. We, I bought a, like an old, uh, phone company van with, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of miles on it, but we bought a damn van and I called Don Krupe, my old team manager. And I was like, Don, just looking around for a trailer, man. Do you got a trailer? And he's like, I got a trailer in the back, dude. I'll give it to you for 500 bucks, man. You know? So I went over to Don's and he hooked me up with a cool trailer. And then, uh, you know, I was calling around trying to get sponsors and nobody would sponsor me, dude. Nobody like nothing. I couldn't get anything. And, uh, so I just went to Troy Lee who, who I, I know I knew Troy and I was like, I don't know what to do, Troy. I'm, I'm like, nobody will even talk to me. And I don't want to give up. I'm, I think I really can go fast, man. I really feel good. I, I really honestly think I can win some races, Troy. He's like, give me, hold on, man. Give me a second. <laughs> and he just started like literally right there in his office. He just started calling people. He called Doug Martin. Hey, Doug, what's up? Yeah, it's Troy Lee. Yeah, listen, man, I'm going to start a mountain bike team. Eric Carter's going to head it up. I'm probably <laughs> going to have Jimmy Kite and Jimmy Deaton on it. He's my mountain bike team. We need some bikes. Right. <laughs> and dude, like that's that's how 96 uh, happened for me like and troy still to this day you know whenever i see him at whistler and we're out having a couple of beers he always gives me that big hug he's like you're the first man <laughs> you're the first you're my first team ever right you're the team that started all of my teams like and he you know he's like you were the bridge to my motocross team now you know and uh but that was that was it dude and we he ended up getting me shimano parts gt bikes michelin tires um, and then I ended up working out a deal with white brothers for suspension and bars, uh, core stems. It was crazy, dude. Like we put a team together. We didn't have a lot of money. Jimmy Kite, you he know, was we good as well. One day I remember, cause he, he went into, I remember he raced BMX a little bit, uh, 10 years ago. I remember he'd already retired from mountain biking, but he, he, he did. Yeah. He was on that team with you and he was good as well. When he won some races as well. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy was fast. He, we were teammates on Barracuda as well. So we both lost our Barracuda rides in 95 and we were both out of a ride and that's how we kind of came together and did this privateer thing. I was going to have that Diamondback thing and it fell through. So we just, I bought a van, I bought a trailer and those guys flew into the races and we kind of just pitted together and, and we just made it happen. But really without Troy Lee, it would have never happened, dude. I mean, Troy really was the guy that made the call and said, you know, this is my team. It's not Eric Carter calling. This is Troy Lee's calling. Mm-hmm. And, we went privateer style, dude. I mean, we fully privateered it, dude. And, you know, best part, well, there's a lot of best parts, but there's funny parts and stuff. But, dude, double A Pete, man, Delusky. Oh, he's your mechanic, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> he was my mechanic, dude. So I all remember. you BMX guys out there, yeah. think about think about double A Pete with his fancy clothes spinning wrenches for me, dude, in the trenches getting dirty and muddy and sweaty, man. He was, I remember uh, and he, dude, he quit his job. He was working for Elf and he quit. He was living with me and my, and my girlfriend at the time in Newport beach in this one bedroom 
rat hole <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and he just it was a rat hole dude we didn't even have a kitchen man we had a toaster oven and um <laughs> but yeah pete quit his job and he said dude i'm quitting because you're going to need a mechanic and and so i'm going to quit and i'm going to be your mechanic i said pete i don't have i don't have two nickels to rub together dude i can't pay you he's like I don't, i'm not worried about it dude we'll just just Live the when drain. you buy a pizza i'll just yeah i'll just eat some of your pizzas you know that type of deal right and uh and i said well pete you don't even know how to work on bikes, dude. <laughs> and he, he said, I don't know how to work on bikes, but I know how to buy beer. We'll get it done. <laughs> and, and, and off we went, man. We went, you know, and uh, so that was kind of that, you know, that was 96, um, you know, off of Barracuda a year as a privateer. Uh, and that was, that was gnarly, dude. We drove the first races in Mount St. Anne. So we drive all the way across the country for the first event, man. And I get like 20 minutes outside of Mount St. Anne and we're in Canada and the van breaks down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and of course it did because you're a privateer and that's part of the deal, right? That's the shit that happens. And uh, I can't speak English to the, or these guys speak French. So we're having trouble trying to get somebody to come out and fix, help us, you know, the joke between myself and Deluski and my wife is, you know, I grabbed my toolbox and I started, I lifted the hood and they literally, you know, I'm flipping out, dude. I'm cussing and throwing wrenches and shit. I'm, I, I, you know, I was at my limit and there, and I look in the van and they're laughing, like they're crying laughing because <laughs> I have no clue how to work on cars, dude. And they know it. <laughs> so they're just laughing at me, pretending like I'm going to fix the damn thing. And we're going to get there. So, uh, but yeah, man, that was a, those are good times. I ended up that year as a privateer getting, uh, I was second in the downhill series, uh, overall at Norba. I think I lost by two points to Lopes out at the last race. I won the slalom title for Norba, which was a big thing at the time. And then I, I got fourth at worlds in, uh, in Australia. I thought you got third. Uh, I got fourth at worlds that, that year in worlds in Australia. Oh, the beaver, the um, beaver got third, right? Yeah. The beaver got third at that one. So that was the year that Palmer, Got, Nico. just beat by by nico yeah right so, um but but that really that really that year springboarded me into being a a, a real all-around threat in the mountain bike world before that i was i was just viewed as what uh judd ciencio my co-worker at hyper you know he was racing mountain bikes at the time and he always called it the freak show and the freak <laughs> show was just all the guys on their little BMX cruiser mountain bikes racing around Squalong Gates. He's like, you guys aren't mountain bikes. You guys are a freak show. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I was just a freak show guy. And, uh, but that year I raced downhill and I, and I really put myself amongst the top guys, um, result wise. And I showed that I could compete with the best guys. And, and that really launched, you know, that year of taking a risk financially and, and going for it. I'm still living I'm still living the dream from that. I'm still involved in the in the bicycle industry because of that. So, mm -hmm. and then you went to yeah. GT, right? Yeah. From they're there from GT because I was on GT the same time as you. You know what? I had I had a small detour over at Rotec in '97. Okay. Right. And uh, yeah, that was like that was a really good idea that didn't really pan out to be a good thing. <laughs> and and it, um, you know, Jim uh, Jim Lewis was a he was the guy the engineer guy and he was a great guy and then bill thomas was the owner of the company and he was a pretty good guy as well too man but um you know he had these big dreams of putting together an awesome program and you know this guy owned a, a company that refurbished 
the inside of United Airlines airplanes. So whenever you see a United Airlines, you know, you get on a new plane, it's all redone on the inside. His company did that for United Airlines. Oh, wow. So he had, he had financial backing and he was, he was involved with the pro fork stuff back in the day in BMX. Oh, um, pro forks. Yeah. So yeah, pro forks. Right. So <laughs> anyways, um, we designed these bikes, Jim designed these bikes, these, these mountain bikes that were crazy. Right. And they were so far ahead of their time. Like when I say so far ahead of their time in the last three years, you know, the companies like Mondraker and these other mountain bike companies have, have really embraced the, the really short, almost zero reach stem and then the long top tube and these, these geometries that are like almost motorcycles. Well, we had that in 97. Like wow. we were, we were, you know, almost 20, 20 years ahead of what they were doing. And we made these bikes at the time they were over, they were overkill. They were too much bike, um, for all of the courses except for the real steep nasty ones and uh but you know we had trouble with those bikes man we broke them a lot and we weren't able to produce them and so we did a year of race team where they thought they were going to be able to produce a bike in three months and they didn't get it done and you know myself um rocket rich was on the team terry honest was on the team um i had doug dalton who was a uh who ended up being a top mechanic for Cedric and the guys at, at um, Cannondale before he went to SRAM. And then uh, Jeff Schofield was also on the team. Oh, Jeff Schofield. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. So we had a, we had a really good team man. we had a great team of riders and we were getting results when the bikes would hold up underneath us. And, uh, but from a business side of it, man, it just fell apart at the end. And, I've just got to uh, say how, sorry to interrupt, but Jeff Schofield was just, he was a badass when he on a BMX. I never saw him. He was a badass. Yeah, I mean, he, so... I never saw know, him in person. Was, I just saw the videos. Oh, yeah, dude. He was he was a really, really dominant rider as a young kid, and then he just got bored of it, man, and he, he went skateboarding, and he and now he's a really good skateboarder, and he still rides skateboards to this day. Oh, cool. Um, you know, and, but he kind of came back to mountain bike, or to cycling through Rich Long, you know, prior to Rich Long's passing, and he rode for GT for a year or two, and Rich just basically told the guys at GT, "This guy's on the factory." Yeah, yeah, he's on the factory team, and and all those guys were there's a lot of animosity. But you know, Jeff had some pretty good races, and he had a ton of talent. But he was just he's just he would get so nervous, and he would he would make you know often he would make mistakes that he didn't need to make, uh, and he he didn't believe in himself enough. Uh, but yeah, man, he was a phenomenal rider. Jaguar Championships. Of- Jaguar Championships. Sorry, again, I just remember Jess Gofford, one of the kids I looked up to, you know? I remember the yeah. Jaguar Championships yeah. on GT just won by like half a track. He just railing turns and this is like nine eighty three oh. or eighty four or something. Eighty three probably, eighty two. But yeah. Yeah, I mean that's how he was on his BMX bike. He was a he was a, a dominant force, man. And uh but he's a good guy, man. He's a really nice guy. Really, really nice guy. Like kind hearted, mm-hmm. you know. Um just a really good guy and a, and a, a pleasure to have on the team and a pleasure to be around. And, um, he, 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 it was, it was great having him on the program, but yeah, 97 was Rotec. And, uh, at the end of that year, it got, <clears throat> it got a little ugly between myself and Rotec and the way things went. And I ended up having to do a lawsuit thing and get my money that they owed me. And, uh, you know, so that, that kind of sucked. You, you, you always hate to do shit like that. I have to do shit like that. But we ended up doing that. And then, uh, then 98, you know, I basically went to Doug, Doug Martin at GT and I said, Doug, I just, 
you know, I probably should have been on your team <laughs> back in 90, uh-huh. 93, 94, when you were trying to get me back in the day. But, you know, I, like I said, I took a detour, man, but here I am. And, uh, you know, I told Doug, you know, I'm like, look, man, I don't, I'm not asking for a lot of money up front. I took a, a pretty big pay cut, you know, but I said, put some carrots in front of me. Mm-hmm. I think I can go get them. And, uh, he put a nice bonus program together and put a multi-year deal together for, for me. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was great. We all, uh, I mean, all of us at GT had multi-year deals and they were bonus, bonus heavy, but our salaries were, were dictated by how much we made in bonuses. So, you know, if you, yeah, yeah. if you made six, yeah, you know, you make 60 grand a bonus, you get a $60,000 raise for the next year. And dude, we all killed <laughs> and, and you know, I, I, I honestly think that part of the success of the mountain bike team and how much money they were committed to had something to do with, you know, the company ending up going out because it just, you couldn't have anticipated the bonus all of our cross country. Yeah. All of our cross country riders killed it in the world cup and world championships. You know, Steve Pete was on my team. Well, that was Steve. I was on GT already and Steve just got on GT and he came and stayed with it. He didn't really know too many people in America. He got on GT and he's like, Hey man, can I come and stay with you? I remember going down to GT with him at the start when I think, you know, Mikey, I don't know if Mikey was already on the team then. I think he was, like you said, but um, he was, yeah. Yeah. I remember Steve was kind of just coming into America and he stayed, yeah, stayed with me and um, just for a little bit, and then he got an apartment next door. But yeah, I remember. And remember, I right. remember going down to GT, and I, you know, I, how high tech and how you know the BMX program. But I remember you guys had your own room, and I remember looking through the window there, and I was, oh my god, that's on a, another level to GT BMX, you know? Right. Well, that yeah, it was. I mean, we we were Shimano, Michelin, Rockshox, and it, you know that was the best of everything at the time. And and I mean, it was, dude, it was just disposable. I mean, we had everything was disposable. I mean, we went, we would go to Europe and our, we, you know, our kits were disposable, you know, they would get muddy and thrash. You just throw them away. I would you know, get them. Had... I would go in the mountain bike stuff and get like Lycra for stuff, you know, just for road biking and training and stuff. But I remember there was just big tubs of that stuff or like, I, I got GT Mike King stuff still in England in the box, like his world championship right. thing. Like I remember grabbing a bunch of that stuff. It was just everywhere. Right. It was. It, and it really was. I mean, it was a, it was an amazing time to be a part of gt that's when we had the the, the double decker dual uh you know the, the big rig if you will at the pits i mean it was supercross mm-hmm. and uh and it was awesome dude we were pampered and i loved it man it was fantastic mm-hmm. um you know but but i do think you know that the way the success that we all had that you couldn't have anticipated that everybody on the team would kill it the way we did mm-hmm. you know i mean dude it put it put those guys on the hook for you know every one of us was on big you know on on big contracts well over six figures so it just, you know <laughs> but uh it was fantastic to be a part of the program and i was you know i rode for those guys for 98 99 um and then a new guy came over doug you know doug was awesome and doug always had my back and always supported me you know doug martin and uh but he I don't know. He left. Or uh, Doug, Doug went to Doug left and went to Nerve, and I I went to I, I I got let go by GT, and then I went to Nerve, and and Doug was the guy at Nerve. So I yeah I worked with Doug for a couple of years at Nerve, which was two thousand two thousand one for me. Right, right, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's that was the time. Yes, exactly. He went to Nerve because I they brought a new guy in, Jeff Pierce, who was a, a tour to, a former Tour de France guy, and and uh, 
you know, I remember having meetings with him, man. And towards the end of the year, this was 2000 and I had a good year, man. I got fifth at worlds in downhill. I think I won, uh, I think I won the world cup dual thing that year, or I was in the, in the heat battle, you know, heated battle with Lopes for it. At any rate, I won some titles that year. And, uh, I remember him calling me into my call, him calling me into my office before or into his office for the last world cup and telling me like, Hey man, I just want to let you know, you know, you're going to be getting a pay cut. Things are going to be a little different. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Jeff? I'm killing it, man. And he's like, yeah, but you know, you're 30, you're getting old. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's younger guys out there that, have, you know, you're losing a step and, and, uh, he's like, so here's your offer. This is what we're going to pay you next year. And he's like, you know, if you think you're worth more, dude, I challenge you to get more. And I was like, you know, I walked out of the office with my head down and dude, you know, as, as fate works in mysterious ways, you know, I got, I happened to get in touch with Travis to And he was like, dude, I'm, I'm doing this thing for mongoose, man. You, are you interested in riding for me? I was like, yeah, you know, I might be interested. And, and, uh, so we, we ended up talking a little more about my, this is when I started the mountain cross thing. You know, I was promoting those events. I yeah. I want to get into that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I trademarked the name mountain cross. I had that, you know, where I, I, I technically had that trademarked. Um, I was working, um, you know, to do that series. And we were talking with, you know, we ended up talking with mongoose about doing a signature mo- mountain cross bike as seen in gravity games that mongoose was a part of an NBC. So it was this big, picture where they were going to do the signature bike that was going to be in Toys R Us and Walmart through Mongoose. And, um, you know, so long story short to our meeting, we were flying home from the last world cup and we were flying through Chicago, which is where Brunswick who owned Mongoose at the time was. And so I just <laughs> do, we, you know, you go to customs and you have to check your bags and then re recheck them. You know, you claim your bags and recheck them. And uh, we're walking to go to the, the recheck thing and you had to turn a left to throw them on the, on the conveyor belt. And I kind of sagged back behind the team and all those guys turned left and they threw their bags on the conveyor belts. And dude, right then the sliding windows, the sliding doors open and there's the mongoose guys standing there, man. <laughs> and, and all the GT guys were like looking at me like, cause I stopped and they're like looking at me and I just, I just waved at them. I'm like, all right guys, I'll see you later. And I just, <laughs> I didn't even look back, dude. I just walked straight out to the mongoose guys. <laughs> and, and they, you know, the teammates later were like, dude, I can't believe you're that crazy, man. Like, you just, you just bailed. You didn't even care. I'm like, dude, I was going to get the axe anyways, man. I might as well make it happen. <laughs> so uh, we had a nice dinner at, uh, at some awesome steakhouse in Chicago. And we ended up working out a great deal with mongoose and, um, you know, multi-year deal that ended up having me come back to GT after Mongoose acquired them and sh- through Schwinn and all that. So, uh, but yeah, man, it was, it was crazy. GT years were awesome. And, uh, I, I loved it, but you know, when Jeff was, Jeff Pierce was becoming the team manager, I was kind of getting ushered out. And, uh, so we had to make our way on over to Mongoose and go yeah. do stuff with Travis and man, it's, it's, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Cause I've learned so much from Travis. Tell us a little bit about then the uh, obviously the mountain cross dual eliminator, what it was called when two guys went head to head. I remember that for watching you guys at World Cups, and then obviously into four cross, which I guess was mountain cross anyway. So yeah, tell us about that. I remember the Troy Lee race. Uh, I think you put that on, right? Was that at the Glen Helen, or was that kind of the first that one? That was. 
Yeah, that was the deal. So we were already racing the, the head-to-head dual stuff, two guys on one track. And we was that, that did you guys see that as a joke? Or because you guys just smashed each other. I remember watching the, I'd watched the World right. Cup stuff. Did you guys like that format <laughs> or not really? Well, we, we liked that it was a UCI-recognized event because dual slalom wasn't. Prior to that, dual slalom wasn't UCI-recognized. So we, you know, us freak show riders weren't really recognized <laughs> by the UCI. And, uh, you know, so then they put, they didn't really like the dual slalom format, so they created this dual format. Mm-hmm. And um, UCI recognized it, and that increased our value greatly. I mean, Lopes, I mean, Lopes ended up basically turning his back on downhill and just racing Right. He just became a freak show artist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so and and got paid handsomely for it for just being a, a duel and a slalom racer. He wasn't even a grab a downhill guy anymore. Mm-hmm. So we liked it. We liked the that UCI recognized it and it gave us value. But yeah, the two rider format was just dude. Just sm- I remember watching those World Cups used to be on TV on Eurosport in England. So I, I, I when I was over there a lot, I would yeah. my mom would record it or I would be there watching it. But I remember you guys. I'm like, man, they flew all the way over there and they just smashed him in the quarters, you know, <laughs> and he's done. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, he, the, well, what you had, man, is you had a mix, right? You had a mix of guys that were like, you had a mix of BMX guys that knew basically ethics if you will on like okay you know this is dirty racing and this is hard racing right and and then you had these other guys that were either they either raced motocross or they were just downhill guys that they never raced bmx and these guys dude they just didn't they just didn't care man they i mean they would literally just the best one I saw is I think it's an Aussie dude on Giant, Sean McCarroll and Will Longdon. I'm sure you've seen it floating around on Facebook. Like, oh yeah, just yeah. absolutely like that McCarroll dude just nailing Will Longdon, and Will Longdon gets back up and gets him back and crashes him at the finish. Right. I mean, it's great to watch, but yeah, right. Well, he's you know McCarroll. McCarroll was legendary. He was probably the if you will the dirtiest of the dirty. <laughs> he would smash. He just would absolutely aim for you and just sprint and and t-bone you and do whatever he had to do to run you off the track or, or make you end up on the ground. And, right. and which is evidenced by that video. I mean, you could see it. Yeah, right? yeah. And you know, and Longden got the best of him at the end. And, right. And uh, but yeah, but yeah. I mean, that that's that's a prime example of how these guys that that didn't race BMX treated duel. And that was what really, that's what really drove the four cross format because talking with Glenn Jacobs, the, the guy who was building the courses and was the, you know, the head of the duel for UCI, you know, we, we, I, I'm still great, great friends with Glenn and, and we talked about stuff and I said, Glenn, you know, I have an idea for these, these four races, four racers. And he said, dude, we're already doing that over here. And I'm like, great. You know, I said with four guys if you're in third and you try to wreck the guy in second to advance to the next round, you don't advance because the fourth guy comes around and it's a, it's a self-policing format that doesn't, you know, we were still smashing each other, but (laughs) riders, it was less inclined to, I mean, you knew like in, in duel, you knew it's like, okay, if I'm behind and I'm coming in the last turn, I'm just going to crash the dude and we're going to see who can pick their bike up the fast. Right. I see a lot of that. Yeah. And that's, and that's what it ended up being. And it, it became kind of a joke. And uh, so four cross was born out of trying to eliminate that um, scenario playing out 
in dual racing. And uh, so that's really how it happened. And, you know, I did my first event, like you said, at Glen Helen again, you know, partnered with Troy Lee again. I went to Troy and told him my idea. And he said, well, I'm doing the poster for the Glen Helen Motocross National. And I got a great idea. We're going to put you guys smack dab in the infield for the outdoor motocross national between the first and second motos. And I was like, all right, dude, if you think you can pull that man. And it literally, he's like, hold on a second. You know, classic Troy He's sitting in his office. He just picked up the phone. Lori, what's up? I got an idea. Yeah. Okay. My guy's coming out. And I, you know, I drove from Troy's office right then. He's like, go on out there and take a look. And that's how it happened. (laughs) And, uh, so we built the course, uh, you know, I built the course. They let me use one of their tractors and I built the course. My dad built the start gate. And, uh, I remember putting jumps, piling dirt and, uh, you know, piling more dirt and guys saying, man, that's pretty big. And I'm like, that's not big, dude. Look at the jump that those guys are jumping. This has to be really big. And we just kept piling dirt, kept piling dirt. And we made jumps as big as, as big as I could get as much dirt. And, uh, you know, Cully, the big jumper that he is, you know, he came out and just buttered everything on his first run and was like, this is awesome. This is the future. And that really kind of spurred, uh, mountain cross. And that's how, when it first started, that's how all the jumps were so big because that was the model that I, that I presented. I think there was the a cover. I think there's a cover of you guys in uh, dirt maybe. From, uh, it from it was race. in dirt. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's how that, that's how that mountain cross thing happened. And then, you know, UCI recognized it and they accepted it. I think I did a one race at sea otter as well before UCI really adopted it. And then, uh, now I had some really big jumps as well, but, um, you know, and then Norba accepted it because UCI did. But, you know, what happens with everything, right, is like, you know, they Norba accepts it and then they do it. But they have to cater to, you know, the junior 14-year-olds that it's their first mountain bike race. And so everything gets watered down. Everything gets rollable. And then it's, oh, it costs too much money to build the jumps. And that was the demise of Forecross, really, was the cost. They kept saying that the cost was too much and you know, that to build the jumps awesome and big time for the pros wasn't cost effective. And so that's why we don't do it anymore. Talk about a couple of those years and when, when it was good, I did a couple, couple of years of world cup. So I got to witness a, a little bit of it, maybe towards, I don't know if it was towards the end, but maybe the middle bit, but obviously when it was uh, pretty healthy within the UCI, obviously there was you and, um, Cully had kind of retired then, but obviously you and Lopes, uh, King, and then obviously, uh, you know, Prokop and, uh, Michael Del Deke, Scott Beaumont. Tell us a little bit about right. those years and some of them dudes. Yeah, it was good, man. There were some really, really, really good battles, you know? I mean, Lopes was, you know, you'd have to, <clears throat> if you looked at it on paper, you know, you'd have to say like, you know, Lopes was probably the, the, the fastest of the, of the crew when it first really started when forecast really started happening and you know i would get in there and um take some wins away from him and i think i you know i snagged a title or two uh from him and um but uh you know brian was just a little bit faster out of the gate and he was you know he's a fierce competitor so brian was the guy and then i remember pro cop showing up and just you know he had that slingshot that bmx slingshot that nobody else really had and he just Dude, he just lit us up, man. I mean, he literally mm-hmm. just took, he took the old school guys to school, man. And, and there's not, and then, you know, Prokop has amazing track speed as well. You know, it wasn't like he just had a start and then we could ride past him. You know, he, he 
was fast on a mountain bike. He wasn't a, a and he BMX could win. That, he was winning double A as well at the same time. Like he could, um, yeah. he could win a double A race during that period. You know, so he was badass yeah. in both. Yeah, yeah, he was an amazing. He was an amazing, amazingly talented racer. So, you know, um, he was in there, and then, you know, like you said, you know, there was there was a Mikey was in there in the mix, winning some races here and there. Brian Smith was doing races with me Cedric. on Long Goose. You know, Cedric was in there. Even, you know, even guys like Menar, you know, were, yeah. were in there in the mix. Um, so uh, everybody was doing it. You know, everybody was doing it. You know, Beaumont, and Beaumont still does the damn thing, man. Keeping so, it alive, keeping, um, the, keeping the dream alive. He is, he is keeping the dream alive. You know, so it's, um, you know, it was awesome and it was healthy and it was exciting and it was the night show and uh, there was big crowds and, and uh, it was, it was great to be a part of it, man. You know, when you're racing in front of those big crowds in Europe and you can't hear your bike shift um, because the noise is so loud. I mean, it's, it's a really an awesome experience to be able to have been a part of. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful for it. You know, I think, you know, I started phasing out a little bit out of it and started phasing out of the racing and doing more brand ambassador stuff. And I think, you know, Graves came in and was really starting to, uh, yeah, I killed it, you know, yeah, Graves was really kind of putting his stamp on things and, you know, was, I mean, he was the fastest dude by far, you know, he was just so strong and, uh, but yeah, man, it was, it was great to be a part of, you know, it's unfortunate that it has <clears throat> lost its main luster like it had, you know, like, like we said, you know, Beaumont and his crew are keeping the dream alive and they do have a race series, but it really is European. It's a, just a European series and then they do a world championships that UCI recognizes. So it's really only one race that UCI recognizes a year. All right. So um, let's, let's hop on to some of the questions on Facebook because quite a few people uh, asked about that. So maybe that leads into that. And I, I guess I'm going to say one straight away. Um, Ollie Daniels, he says, why do you think uh, there's been a slump in forecross? Yeah, why do you think it kind of got where it's at? And I don't know, like, say, Scott's doing a good job, what he does, and don't want to disrespect him. I know he puts his heart and soul into it, but obviously it's not on the same level as when you guys are you know, we're all there, what you just talked about. Why do you think that is? Yeah, Scott, and, and, you know, Scott's a realist. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, you know, he would say the same thing, that it just isn't where it's at, where it was, you know, now. Um, I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, I think, but the biggest part is that um, with UCI, when we were, when Forecast was a part of UCI, it was a part of Eurosport. So we had this, um, broad tv um coverage that was lots and lots and lots of people saw and so you were able to sell that um you know that scenario to sponsors so the riders were able to get paid and the and the cost to build the courses uh for the weekend and tear them down was was um manageable you know now where they're racing they're racing in all permanent tracks you know they don't really build four cross courses for the events anymore because it's not cost effective you know, it's like, it's like building a BMX track for a weekend, but only having a hundred racers. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, makes sense. and so, right. You know, like ABA can do it because they have, you know, 1500, you know, 2000 entries and it's like, okay, we can, we can pay for building the damn course, but you know, four cross can't cover the cost of that now. And, uh, so it's, I think that's the problem is that the TV coverage went away when UCI didn't recognize it. And when the, when the exposure goes away, um, the value to people that have the money to fund it goes away. And, you know, I think that's what it's going to take for, for those guys to really, um, 
get back onto that level of uh, sponsorship and and uh, prestige it's going to take some type of tv coverage a euro sport thing to to you know reaccept it or somebody's gonna have to buy a tv package and and do it or um but until then i think we're it's kind of leveled out and and to where it's going to probably sit for a while if it did come back and just say they, they, you know just hey we, you see we, we want your input would you kind of keep the same concept or how would you you know in today's world would you would you do a do four cross would you change it three cross five cross i don't know what would you uh how would you fine tune I, it I now think th- I think the format. I think the more. I think the format's solid. I think the amount of riders is right, um, and I think it would be best in everybody's interest to keep it at four because, um, you know, it's been. You know, it's what is it? Almost we started doing that in two thousand two, I believe. So what we're looking at fifteen years. Mm-hmm. You know, there's kids that grew, there's kids that grew up, and on that right, there's kids that grew up and were watching TV when they were a kid. And they watched Eurosport and they saw four cross on TV and they know that. Right. And so now that now you have a seed that's been planted in a, in a, a age demographic of people that are, that are getting to a, uh, that are getting to a level of, um, you know, where they would compete. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I would, I would keep it at four. I would keep it at four. Um, but I think the courses would need some, uh, would need some heavy adjusting. Um, I think the straightaways are a little too short, uh, often. And so you can ride inside, inside all the way down the course. Um, and I think I could, I would, I think that building the right courses would help dramatically, with the passing and the type of passing that could, could and should happen. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would, you know, I would entertain the idea to, to, help them and, and be involved. I love driving tractors, dude. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, what, what were some of your favorite like, courses? Uh, favorite courses. Um, and that's hard to, that's hard to, re- I, I can't remember a lot of them, honestly. Did you like, like high um, speed? Like the worlds, obviously you won was, was super high speed. I remember I raced that one. I was scared to death. Um, yeah, did you was, like, did you like more, that, you know, slower, flatter ones, I guess. That, that course was a little faster than I liked. I, I, I was like you, Dale. I, I qualified 15th at that race, I think. I mean, I, I didn't have good track speed, dude. I was scared to death as well. It was way faster than I wanted to go, hitting all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, then, and uh, so I liked them a little bit slower than that. You know, I liked them where what I liked about the course, what I would like about courses as I liked that when the courses were set up, <clears throat> that if you were in the lead, you, you had to protect the inside. You could not just rail the corner or you would get passed. And so if you did block the inside or protect your lead, which you should have to do, and the course should mandate that, um, the riders in second, third, and fourth can choose to, to rail the berm and carry speed, and they'll pass you on the, on the next straightaway. And then that cycle, if you, if you do it right, that cycle plays out, right? You go into the next corner, and now the guy that made the pass is in the lead. Now he has to decide, is he going to leave the, the door open or is he going to block the inside? And, and when it's done right, there's a shuffling of guys that can go from first to fourth to third to fourth to first. Mm-hmm. And it happens. And it happens. I, I've seen a couple of courses. There's a, there's, I believe it's in Tasmania. Uh, and this is some old video, you know, Glenn Jacobs designed a course that 
it worked. It had, it actually had a, you know, he had a formula for it and it was amazing. I mean, the, 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 the lead changes and the passes and it wasn't guys crashing in each other. It was just designed and it was just guys cycling through man. And, and those were the kind of courses that I lived. I don't, I don't remember any specific courses, quite honestly, when we were doing them, there wasn't a lot of those kind of courses that were really good at that. They always, a lot of them were really, um, one line. They didn't have a lot of lines. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, that play. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump through a few more of these questions then. So Sean Duncan, this is, uh, he says, um, uh, he was obviously one of the first players, which you've talked about from jump the ship from, uh, you know, BMX to MTB. It says, looking back now, would you, uh, consider of maybe doing, you know, still sticking with BMX and doing both? Um, you know, considering, I guess if the money was the same, would you still like to have done BMX? I guess that's a, well, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that I would, um, looking back on it, um, you kind of you know, said it was hard to ride the 20, wasn't it? Right. It, it was, it was, it was hard to ride the 20 and I was starting to crash and hurt myself and I didn't like that. That wasn't that much fun. So, um, you know, looking back on it, there's a, there is a, um, a bit of regret that I wasn't able to get the deal done on that ABA number one pro title. Um, that's something that I aspired to since I was a little kid and, you know, especially after I won the amateur title in 86, you know, I was like, that's the next progression. And I was just never able to get that deal done. So, um, but you know what, like it just, I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change anything. Um, I wouldn't go back and do it different. Uh, it all happened for a reason. It all happened. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky, man. I, I had a awesome competitive career with some great sponsors. And even when I didn't have sponsors, I had some great people that got behind me and vouched for me to create their own teams. And so, um, I think had I done anything different, you know, I, in other words, done more BMX racing or gone back and tried to do more BMX racing, I think it would have affected my ability to do what I needed to do on the mountain bike. And I probably wouldn't have uh, achieved the level of success that I did. Yeah, I guess it's kind of answered a little bit what Richard Eames says here. So the VC could have made uh, the same money in MTB as in BMX. Would you even bother going to mountain biking? But I guess like the new challenge and all that as well, like kind of what you said, right? It's something different. Yeah, yeah, it was. A, it was. It was a new challenge, and it was fresh, you know. And and I was, I was on the, you know, even though I was hungry to win that ABA title, I was still burnt out on. You know, there was a lot of races I would go to and I would just, you know, you've had those weekends, Dale, where you go and you're like, I don't even want to be here. Mm-hmm. And you just, you just ride around the track and you do your three motos and then you, you know, you go back to the room and you buy, you know, you buy, you buy a sixer beer and you watch sports center and <laughs> Domino's pizza and you go to the track and you do your three motos the next day. And you're just like, well, some of us did. Danny Nelson would just get on a plane and go home. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and, yeah. And I was, and I was having those days. You know, I wasn't. You know, mountain bikes was a new challenge, and it was exciting. And I could go be in the mountains, and I could know that my practice was going to be from, you know, eight to nine thirty, and my start time was going to be at ten thirty two. Mm-hmm. And then at ten after ten thirty two. I didn't have to sit around the, the horse arena all, all, you know, for, for 10 hours for my next moto. And, uh, you know, so for me at that stage of my career, 
um, I was ready for that. You know, some mm-hmm. people love that. I mean, I remember when I loved sitting in the arena watching every single moto because I loved BMX thoroughly at that time. And I just, I couldn't get enough of it. But at that point in my career, I was ready for the next, I was ready for the next thing. Yeah, no, I get it. So it wasn't really about the money. It was about time and it was time for a change. Mm-hmm. Um, quick shout out here to John, uh, sorry, Joe Doherty. Um, see him on Instagram quite a lot. So always post some great stuff, some mid school. Uh, he started a podcast. So he asked us to give it a quick blood, uh, a quick, uh, a quick uh, shout out. So it's called the BMX in our blood podcast. So check it out on iTunes, everybody. That's Joe Doherty, mid schooler from back east. And uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm sure he'll put some good stuff out there. And uh, Joe also mm. says, can you remember a uh, question to EC? Uh, talk about the uh, banana seat from the uh, Christmas classic that was on your cruiser, right? It was Dale. We, uh, that, and that, that came down from a bet. That was a bet uh from uh richard bartlett and i were at at bicycle center on one of the late nights that we would spend out there doing bc gate night and uh which was also a legendary thing um and i don't know what the bet was but i lost it and uh the 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 pay up on the bet was that richard could go in the back of the you know in the back of the shelves of bc and get anything off the shelves and and put it on my bike and i'd have to race with it and so he came out with streamers and a basket <laughs> and this banana seat. And uh, <clears throat> so I couldn't race with the basket. It was in front of my number plate. And uh, the streamers, I wasn't really into that. But I said, I'll race with that damn banana seat, dude. And uh, <laughs> so we, we originally, we put the loop tail that goes over the banana seat on there. And I kept hitting my ass and my, and my balls on that thing. <laughs> so we, uh, BC Day, fabricated some struts that came off the rear axle and held the banana seat up. So I didn't have that loop over the top. And, uh, and I raced, yeah, man, I raced with that damn thing. And it, I, that thing weighs about three pounds and the whole bike, man, it was hard to turn the bike because it, you know, the front end pushed and it was just, it was a, it was, uh, an awesome nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a blast racing with it. Um, I had fun with it and, uh, you know, I, I wrecked, I got wrecked the first day myself and, a, and a, a fast guy from back east named joe pickney we we ended up crashing um and then uh but the next day i won dude i won with that damn thing on my bike and um, <laughs> so uh you know uh it was awesome and it that was that is an a that's a testament to the um how bmx was back then and that uh we were serious but we never lost sight of of having a good time as well. And, and we kept it in good perspective. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's a, that's an important part of, uh, I think that's what what's lost BMX so much fun. I think that's what's lost, right. at least in the, I can't speak for mountain biking, but in the BMX world, I think that that part's missed a lot. How you can, and I think that's why a lot of us, you know, you guys are saying, Brian always seems like had a smile on his face, um, could be serious, right. but, but mix that fun part into it as well. And I think they're the guys that had the longer careers, right? Correct. Correct. And that's the deal, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, you make it fun and, and you, you, you keep it lighthearted. Of course, when you get on the gate, man, you're serious and you want to win and you, you do your training and you do your stuff, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, just keeping a good perspective. I mean, when you, if, if you get back, if you step back from it, right. If you really step back from it and you see, you know, uh, long-term how it's going to affect your life, you know, there, there's, there's one or two guys, you know, that are, that maybe are going to 
nobody's making enough money in BMX to, to, to be good for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Nobody. No. There's not a single guy. I mean, you know, I, I know, I think Stromberg has some, some stuff from his government that, that helps him out based on him being a national hero winning the Olympics. But aside from that, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I don't think there's anybody that. No, you, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money you've won or got, you've still got to do something with your life. I mean, you want to sit and right. know, scroll through Facebook all day for the rest of your life? I mean, uh, you got to right. have a purpose, you know, regardless of the money. Right. Right. And so, so, you know, when you take it so serious that you lose sight of the fun of it, because we're just, you know, when you're, especially when you're racing BMX, you're racing a kid's bike, mm-hmm. you know, and I know it's in the Olympics, but it's still, you know, you're still, you're still going to have a real job when you're done with being a, a BMX pro rider. So have fun with it. Be yeah. serious when it's time to be serious, but have fun with it too, man. Make it fun. You know, go to your local practice track and joke around and do stupid shit and have fun mm-hmm. instead of the, you know, it's, you know, it, it, you don't have to always be serious all the time, I, I don't think. Wise so. words. And I think they're the people that did take it too seriously, the jaded ones or the guys that walk away, you know, walk away thinking that they're, you know, BM, I keep saying BMX because obviously that's, that was more my side. But, I mean, um, that feel like right. the sport owes them something. The sport doesn't owe you nothing, you know. it's uh, Right. It's, right. Uh, you're, I mean, you're, you're so blessed. I mean, look, it's an, it's an unfortunate reality that the, the, that – we, you know, I'm when I say we, you and me, but but on a whole, sorry, my dog's barking. That's right. <laughs> you know, on on a whole, you know, we happen to be, you know, the top one percent of the world on a skill set that doesn't barely pay enough to make a car and a house payment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, there was a time when it did pay more than a car and a house payment, but that time isn't really right now, mm-hmm. and it's really unfortunate because it. It doesn't have anything to do with the skill set or the athleticism of the athletes. They, these are world-class athletes. There's no denying that, right? There's, I mean, they are, you know, you go in the, you go in the gym and you go on the, the exercise bike and you do all the testing and they put up world-class numbers. These are world-class athletes, hands down. There's no debating that. The, the science doesn't lie. But it's scale of economics, right? It's, it, that's the, the real deal, right? It's a BMX bike. How much does it sell for? And how many are being sold? Mm-hmm. because of the actual bmx racing right the kid that goes to the kid that goes the kid's parents to go to walmart and buy our 99 dollar spinner hyperbike they don't have any clue who the top bmx pro is they just saw a 99 dollar bike that little johnny fits on mm-hmm. so that scale that scale of economics doesn't transfer over to a pro rider getting a wage mm-hmm. and and it's a it's a cruel reality that that's what we were good at, dude, we were good at a sport that doesn't have a scale of economics that can justify paying hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars within itself, uh, to support its riders. It has to come from the outside. And the fact is nobody in the outside gives a crap about BMX right now. And it sucks. And the following's not but there. It, I mean, you can look from social media from, and, and I know mountain biking and skateboarding is a whole lot bigger than and BMX racing, but just the people that are following and giving you thumbs up are just our friends, you know, there's a little bit more obviously with right. today's current riders, but the, the demographics of the fan base is just so small, you know? Right. So it just, you know, and it's, it is, it's, it's a reality. So, you know, it sucks, but, but that is, that's, that's the real, that's the realness to it. And, and the sooner, the sooner that, that, you know, and I, and my son, my son aspires to be a, a BMX pro. He's told me that a number of times. And I tell him, 
That's awesome. It's awesome for you to have goals, but don't lose sight of the re the reality of the whole scope of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, you have these younger kids, right? The, uh, you know, we'll take a, a, a kid like, um, there's a kid that rides, that rides out at our local track and he's really fast. His name's Brandon Crane. And he's, he, I think he's 14 now. And he's amazing. He's an amazingly talented rider, man. I watch him ride and I'm just like, gosh, that kid is so good. He manual stuff. He has good power. He chooses good lines. He's just a, it's a joy to watch him ride his bike. But you, you know, and I, 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 I small talk with his dad a little bit, but I, you know, I don't know what their goals are and stuff, but you know, I hope for a kid like that, that, you know, his parents realize like that BMX is not going to be something that's going to provide for your son's life. It's going to provide him a little bit and it's going to be a cool thing that he gets to do if he's getting his bills paid and he's getting expenses paid to travel. That's awesome. But you have to have a backup plan, man. And it's, it's, um, I think it's, uh, a bit, I think, and this isn't to Brandon's dad specifically, I'm just using him as an example because he's an amazing writer, but in general, I think it's a bit irresponsible for parents to bank on their kids being a BMX superstar and not helping them understand that they're not going to be, you know, even if they're the best guy and the fastest guy, that there's going to be a, a, a time of real, there's a, a re reality that you're going to have to face that you're not going to be the BMX guy anymore and real life's going to slap you in the face and you better be ready for it. Mm -hmm. oh, definitely. And it's, it's, and it's, you know, I mean, I had, a, I, you know, I'm really good friends with Randy Lawrence and I, you know, and I, I support his son Ryder with, with hyperframes and stuff. And I've told him all along, I'm like, I want Ryder and I hope you agree with me. I want Ryder to ride BMX for, you know, three or four more years, maybe five years max. You know, he's 10 now. And I said, then he needs to transfer over to mountain bikes. In mountain bikes, there's a scale of economics that allows for people to get paid more money. And there's an industry where you can get a real job in, mm -hmm. in the industry working as a product manager or a designer or a product tester or a marketing guy. There's an actual industry, man. It's not, you know, 100 mom and dads that are buying 15 frames from a vendor in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So... You know, yeah, no, I, I totally agree more. I think <laughs> we're definitely going to do a part three because I want to talk a lot about like current, you know, I want to, to ask you about, you know, currently views and thoughts and stuff on mountain biking, but I want to get your take on BMX as well because I know you follow that. Um, but let's right. for the last because my daughter's going to be here in the next 10 minutes and she's just going to cause havoc when she comes in from school. Uh, let's bang out a few it. more. Let's bang out a few more of these Facebook uh, questions because there's still a few good ones. Um, and before we wrap uh -huh. up, maybe this one. So, Joey O'Neill and uh, Patty Baker both kind of give you props on, uh, you know, your world championship win that was spoke about '05. Uh, Joey asked a little bit about Four Cross Current State. Well, we talked about that. Um, we've got one here, Jason Chang. Um, did you ever get your knee fixed? I'm not sure. From <laughs> I did. I have not, man. And and I have a. I have a. I, I smoked my PCL at the, uh, gosh, it was 89 or 90 Cole Canyon. And I still am without a PCL in my left leg. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a sloppy thing, man. It's pretty nasty. It's a, it's a parlor trick for sure. Well, there you go, Jason. You got your answer. We've got one here from a good friend of ours. It's, uh, we both raced very fast competitor from down under Anthony Howie way. Um, how could BMX learn from, uh, the, the MTB side, uh, obviously the professionalism, the industry, um, yeah, I think you can definitely, uh, 
and, and it currently has really I think we definitely took a lot of stuff over the last probably um, yeah probably definitely more so much since it's been in the Olympics with guys like you know Mike King and Basta Beaver now involved right. in the uh, the BMX side so yeah tell us talk a little bit about that maybe well I think I think uh, you know from the BMX race side I think that I think the BMX race side could actually learn something from the mountain bike side now I'm assuming because I, I haven't been to a BMX national and seen the pros and, and how they act and how they interact post race. But <clears throat> from what I hear, it's very, very different than it used to be when we were pros, Dale. Right. And, uh, and the mountain bike side, those guys are serious, man. They train, but you know what? And when it's, when it's Saturday or Sunday night after their race they and they're in the, the town, mm-hmm. they go out and they have beers and they, 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 you know, they loosen the tie a little bit. And I think, not from a professional side, but actually from the other side, I think the BMX world could maybe could maybe loosen up a little bit on that side. I bet, you know, mm-hmm. and, and be a little bit less serious when it's time to be a little less serious. Um, I think there's a handful of guys know, that do that. You know, you got your Nick Longs, uh, Tori Nyhag, and uh, the French guy who's done well this year, Sylvain Andre. Um, right, they've all definitely sprinkled a bit of that that what you talked about, that fun part, but there's definitely a lot of stiff people as well. And you, yeah, it definitely doesn't help. I right. Think. And, 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 you know, I, I hope it's not coming off in the fact that I'm saying, dude, you guys should party your balls off every time you get, every <laughs> chance you get. Cause that's not what I'm saying. You know, what I'm saying is be serious, be a professional at the races, you know, handle your business, but don't, don't be afraid to, to relax. And, and, you know what, man, you don't, you don't have to, even if you go to the bar and drink, you don't have to drink and, and even relaxing and having fun doesn't mean you have to go wreck your rental car like we did back in the day, <laughs> you know, but it's, I, I, you know, from what I understand, the guys are so serious, you know, it's like they come back and, and they come back to the room and it's the race is over and they got their, their recovery wraps on their legs mm-hmm. and their legs are up and they're checking their heart rate and they're, it's like, dude, your race is over, man. Like yeah. you can, you, you can take four hours and you cannot be a racer for four hours mm-hmm. and just relax a little bit, man. Just, just enjoy it a little bit, man. Have fun. Take a deep breath and, and, you know, go drive some go-karts with your friends, man. Like, it's okay if your feet are below your heart for four hours. <laughs> I think Steve Pete was you know? uh, just a huge, great example of that uh, longevity and just how to, what you talked about having fun, but being so Steve always trained hard, and uh, I'm pretty sure he did anyway. You you would know more, but I uh, definitely always had that, always had fun, you know. So he did, and 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 Steve is a prime example of of what can happen when you do that. Steve trained his ass off, dude. I mean, it, they, I wouldn't call it a facade mm-hmm. that he was this party beer drinker guy because he did that too, man. He Pete, you know, Petey Petey loved a pint, filled up. <laughs> and, uh, we had many of them. And, pa- uh, Palmer, did Palmer train pretty hard as well? I seen, I seen Palmer training. trained his ass off. Right. Yeah, Palmer trained his ass off too. But they they were stone cold serious when it was time to race. But you you look at Petey, right? The reason people love Steve Pete more than just about any other rider, and Cedric is, is another guy, is because they were approachable, they had fun, they joked with fans when they came up they weren't serious all the time they had beers with the fans you know you after a world cup if you stayed after in town and you were a fan you could sit right next to steve pete at the bar <laughs> and and have a beer with steve pete and he would cheers you and give you one of those you know those 
those drunk hugs that he would always give you, you know, and, <laughs> and you know, the hug I'm talking about. There. Yeah. 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 And, and that's, that's the allure of it. And that's, that's the side that I'm trying to say, like, dude, you know, you can, you're going to be, I, I, you know, you're going to be a fan favorite. You, you're going to have more fun if you just relax a little bit. That's and how I see it, man. And when you're having fun, the results come with people. it, you know? Right. I hope I'm not offending people, but you know, it's, that's what I see. That that's my answer to Howie's question. Yeah, valid point. Um, good question here from uh, Matt Sylvia. Uh, Matt Sylvia, Silva. Yep. I, I, I know he's an East Coast guy. Saw race Matthew Sylvia. Uh, Matt, uh, he said, should BMX uh, merge? Jason Richardson always talks about this as well. Should BMX uh, merge with MTB on a bigger bike type hybrid? Um, man, that's a good question. I know they have those twenty-two inch bikes out there. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see what a 22 inch bike could do on a bigger track and, and, and it would be more stable and less twitchy, but, um, I don't know, man. I don't think, I don't think if you put mountain bikes and you mix them with, with BMX or vice versa, I don't think that's going to be like a magic, a magic light switch that all of a sudden creates a resurgence for BMX. I think it's deeper than just switching a bike size, um, you know? Uh, but I, you know, I, I always thought that the 22 inch wheels would be interesting to see how they would work on the bigger tracks. Of course, you're not going to accelerate that as fast out of the gate, but, um, man, how much more stable and safe would it be for the riders to be on, on just a slight little bit more bigger wheel that, uh, was a little bit less twitchy, mm-hmm. you know, and if they're all on the same size wheel, then, then it all kind of cancels out. And, and now you have a little bit more safety, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's Matt Silver. Sorry, Matt, I butchered your name. I know who you are now. I've talked to Matt on Facebook, and I know he's been around a long time. Nineties guy, Tracer Finn. He said they thought it was cool. They gave credit to uh, BC Dave because he just passed, right? He did. Yeah, B- BC Dave just passed a couple months ago. So rest in peace, Dave. Um, yeah. Glenn Pavlovsky, one of your good friends that you raced with for Elf from the eighties. He says, uh, "Tell us a little bit about uh, Blue Flame." Yeah. Why they call so, you Blue Flame? Uh, yeah, I kind of knew Glenn was, I, like I said, on, on Facebook, when I saw his name, I knew what the question was going to be. Uh, so, yeah, man, this is back to having fun. You know, we uh, when we were probably 15 or 16, you know, we'd heard the urban legend that, that uh, you could light your farts on fire <laughs> and, and uh, that it would light a blue flame. So, so we did it. Yeah, so I tried it, man, and that was one of my uh, motel room parlor tricks after post-race. You know, we'd, we'd all be in the hotel room, and, and then, uh, you know, I'd tell Glenn to, you know, quietly, I'd say, Hey man, I'm going to, I'm going to go over there on the side of the, you know, I'm going to go lay down on the ground and uh, you shut the lights off. And at the same time you shut the lights off, I'm going to light that thing. So we, <laughs> we were always lighting farts and doing stuff like that in the room. And, and it was kind of a behind the scenes joke. And, and uh, Lenny Baticki, uh got word of it. Lenny was in our little inner circle. So he would actually call me the blue flame on the announcing when he was announcing the races. Cool. 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 Well, EC, I'll say I wanted to talk about a little bit about uh, current current states, BMX mountain biking. I got a whole list of names I wanted to talk about. Some of the guys you battled with in, in mountain bike, and you know that we didn't speak about uh, in this podcast. So I just think we're gonna have to do a part three. Um, so let's wrap up this one. What's your uh, your closing words on today? Well, man, I don't know. I guess uh, something that I always something that I always say, which is, uh, you know, and I kind of was an underlying tone of today's talk, right. Which is, you know, don't lose sight of the fun. Um, you know, we're, 
we all started riding these damn bikes for for fun you know we when the first time we threw a leg over them i don't think we i know i didn't have aspirations of being a pro and getting paid to do it or ending up having a career in the cycling industry so um <clears throat> sometimes it's good to just reflect back on on that side of things and uh to enjoy it and um to really soak it in especially you guys that are pro riders and you're out there traveling the world on somebody else's dime and getting to experience all these cultures you know take a moment to to soak it up man take a take a moment to take a deep breath um you know don't catch the first flight home from the event you know stay over a day after and go see something that you might not ever get a chance to see again because i promise you man when the when that when that isn't the a, a luxury that you have to travel the world on somebody else's dime you, you're you're truly going to appreciate what you had and uh so <clears throat> that's kind of my that's i guess that's my words of wisdom man appreciate what you have and enjoy it while you while you're doing it because it, it goes it goes faster than you think man i i can't believe i'm 47 years old and you know certainly on the i you know my competitive days are over and and uh, it just seems like yesterday that I was traveling the world, you know, fighting for World Cup titles. So, but it's all good, man. I'm grateful. Yeah, absolutely. If anybody wants to uh, track you down, send you a sponsorship proposal for Hyper, uh, anything. That's right. How, how do we get hold of you? Uh, yeah, man. The, you know, obviously on my, the, you can send me instant message on, on my Facebook and stuff like that. But my, you know, I got a, the, the email at Hyper Bicycles, you know, it's Eric at hyperbicycles.com. They can send me something like that. Um, budgets are tight, man. Clay runs a tight <laughs> ship over here. Play, play, <laughs> PD, PD told me this one years ago. He said, oh, sponsorship's closed for this year. Uh, you can re, you yeah. can re, you can, uh, re, uh, re uh, send your information in in uh, October of uh, 2018. <laughs> that's it. That's how it works, man. It's, it's a tight ship over here. But, um, yeah, you know, that's how you can reach me. Um, and anyways, man, I, it's, you know, Hey Dale, thanks for, thanks for including me in this, in this little deal and, and having me on here. I love talking about old stories. Uh, it really is cool, man, to go for a blast to the past like we do. And, uh, man, I just sit here and reminisce as I'm talking, I'm reminiscing in my own mind, man. And it's just an awesome time to be able to do. So I really appreciate you allowing me to come on here and, and, just talk about my old days, man. And I'm, you know, I'm, I guess it's pretty cool that people find it interesting. And, uh, I'm down for pod potty three, dude. Let's yeah, no, I, um, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the nostalgia and all the, you know, the old school, mid school, love this stuff. I love listening to your stories, but I, I still think, and, and I think the listeners will get from this one, that the new, the newer, younger kids can, you've got so much, um, value you can bring to a lot of these kids, you know, uh, just, just perspective on everything like you just, talked about with the fun stuff so let's definitely do a part three and bring it a bit more up to times and uh yeah and uh some of some of the the good ways and advice you can get for a longevity in the sport so thanks very much EC. yeah it sounds, yeah man it sounds good and let's let's not wait a year to do it let's do it a little bit sooner than that man and uh you know what uh you know i guess we'll wait to announce the third one when we're going to do it but yeah if anybody has any other questions you know they can they can put them on the Facebook thing as well, and we can readdress those uh, on the next one. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just on top of that, just a quick shout-out, fatbmx.com. Bart always supports our stuff. Check out his website. Bart updates a lot of BMX uh, racing on top of all the freestyle stuff he does. Uh, so check it out, and check out bmxweekly.com. Thanks, EC, and we'll see everybody on the, uh, on the next podcast. Cheers. All right, Dale. Thanks, bud. See you guys. See ya.